Now last week, if you remember, Jesus tells the Pharisees that they're slaves to sin. And they don't like that. They say, we're not slaves to anybody. We're Abraham's children. We're spiritually better than everyone else. Because Abraham is our great, 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 great grandfather. In verse 38, so this was the last verse of last week's text, Jesus responds to them and he says, I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Now when Jesus talks about their father, he's not talking about Abraham. He's talking about the devil. Is Jesus just being mean? I mean, you know how some disagreements go. You start getting into a fight, and then it starts... It's not about the the argument anymore. You start talking about each other's parents. Like, oh yeah, you're not going to listen to me? Your dad's the devil. Is that what Jesus is doing? No. He's making a point, a profound spiritual point about reality. There are two families in this world. Two spiritual families. God's and the devil's. The devil has children. So in Genesis chapter 3, this is the third chapter in the Bible, you know what happens. God makes Adam and Eve. Satan appears as a serpent. He deceives Eve and Adam. They sin. They bring the whole world into sin. God shows up. He curses Adam and Eve, and he curses the serpent, Satan. Listen to what God says to Satan when he curses him in Genesis 3, verses 15 and 16. He says to Satan, I will put enmity, that means war, I will put war between you and the woman, talking about Eve, and between your offspring, children, and her children, her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise... Wait, no, no, no. Yeah, you shall bruise his heel, okay? So that's what's going to go on. There's going to be war. Your children, her children. Her offspring is going to bruise your head. You're going to bruise his heel. So we had a promise from the beginning of the Bible, of the gospel... Eve's child, Jesus, will come. Satan will strike out at him to kill him on the cross. But while he's there, he will crush Satan's head. That's what's happening. Jesus' crucifixion is the moment when Satan is decisively defeated. But did you hear... It's not just Satan and Eve who are at war, or Eve's offspring and Satan who are at war. It's Satan's children and Eve's children who are at war. Did you hear that? Who are Satan's children? Not demons. They're people. Not lizard people, like people with snake eyes wandering around. They're people like you and me. 
Jesus is looking at this crowd in the face. He can see them. Their eyes are not glowing red. They don't have horns on their head. They're not carrying pitchforks. They don't have pointy tails. They look like you and me. They're people just like you and me. He looks them in the face and he says, your father is the devil. He's not name calling. He means it. It's true. How can Satan have children And how can they be us? We're not his physical children. But when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, when they listened to Satan and they followed him instead of following God from the beginning, they became like him on the inside. That happened immediately. And all their children after them, that's you and me, are like him, Satan, on the inside. Our souls reflect what he's like. He has tremendous influence over unbelievers. Ephesians 2, which David, we did not coordinate this. Ephesians 2 says he's the prince of the power of the air. That's a curious thing to call him. What Paul means is that the air, the atmosphere that's around us, the spiritual atmosphere that we breathe, That's all around. Satan's in control. It's under the rule of Satan. He's our spiritual father. If you don't know Jesus, you are like the devil on the inside. You want what you want, and you don't want God. She might think, well, I'm not like Stalin or Hitler. Not the devil. You want what you want. And you don't want God. Just like him. You're consumed with yourself, your own pleasures, building your own little kingdom. And that can be in your family. It can be in your business, your group of friends. You want to be independent, powerful, famous, at least in your little circle. Spiritually, that's what the devil's like. And he will use all of his influence to keep you and the rest of the world right there. He doesn't need you to worship him openly or to make goat sacrifices to him. Whatever religion can keep you busy without Jesus, whatever pleasure in this world can make you ignore your deep need for Jesus, whatever fears will keep you running from Jesus, he'll give them to you. So long as you ignore God, so long as you don't get your sins forgiven, so long as he can keep you busy until hell. That's everyone in this world until God works a miracle. Jesus wants you to see in this passage That what you do shows who your spiritual father is. The way you live, what you do shows who your spiritual father is. What you love shows who your spiritual father is. And what you are able and willing to understand shows who your spiritual father is. So Jesus is wanting to help these Jews. He's wanting to help you. He's wanting to help me understand how serious our problem is as children of Satan. We don't just have a behavior problem. 
He wants us to see how much we need God to step in and birth us new into his family. That's what Jesus wants to do for you and me this morning. So let's start by seeing what Jesus has to say. That what you do shows who your spiritual father is. This is verses 39 through 41. The Jews answered Jesus, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works your father did. So the Jews are descended from Abraham. And they think because they share his genetics, his blood, that they are spiritually like him. But Jesus is clear. Listen, it's not your physical relationship with Jesus that does anything to your soul, to your spirit. You're not his spiritual children. The way you live shows it. It's a paternity test. The way you live shows who your real spiritual father is. You and I, we look like our parents. If you've got good-looking parents, congratulations. If you've got weird-looking parents, I've got news for you. You're going to look weird. Your appearance is passed on to you by your parents. The shinkles... When they're here, they are fond of pointing out the size of my nose and ears. I'm fond of it too. I really am. But when I was coming into this world, I did not spin a wheel to determine what size and shape nose and what size and shape ears I would have. I didn't get that opportunity. These are not random. <laughs> if my parents would, were here, you would look at them, and you would look at me, and you would go, this makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense. Your physical appearance is passed on from your physical parents. You look like them. You look like your spiritual parents, too. The things you do reflect your spiritual father. Jesus is going to narrow it down to two options. You are either God's children or you are the devil's. And the way you live will show. It will show. Are you a proud person? Do you get easily offended? Do you deceive people? Maybe not in big ways, just little ways. You know, if I'm about to get in trouble, it's not a big deal. Do you use other people for their money, for their bodies, because of the attention that they give you? You do those things because your spiritual father is like that. You don't just have a behavior problem. You and I have a family problem. If your spiritual father is the devil, you're going to grow up to look like him. And that's a bigger problem than simply that you do bad things. You're spiritually hardwired to be like him, to do the things he does. Does your life reflect what he's like? Does your life reflect what God is like? Are you a gentle person? Are you kind? Are you compassionate? 
bold with the truth, but humble, a peacemaker. Test yourself. Does your life match who you say your spiritual father is? That's what Jesus is wanting these Jews to do. What you do shows who your spiritual father is. I'm going to say this now. I'm going to keep saying it. That means more than needing to change the way you act, you need a spiritual father, a new one. Jesus' second point is this. What you love shows who your spiritual father is. Look at verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. What does it mean to love Jesus? This is important. This is important because Jesus is saying, If God's your father, you will love me. So how do you know if you love him? What does it mean to love him? Love is when you enjoy someone else and are committed to enjoying their honor. That's what love is. Love is a commitment, but it's not just a commitment. It's born from an enjoyment of someone. So if you're committed to someone, but you don't like them, you don't love them. If you enjoy someone, but you're not willing for any sort of commitment to that other person's good or honor, you don't love them. The question is not, are you committed to Jesus? I made a decision, I'm sticking to it. That's not what Jesus is asking or telling here. Do you love him? Do you enjoy him? Are you committed to enjoying his honor? I want you to recognize in verse 42 that you were made to be committed to Jesus and to enjoy him. That's what love is. That's what, that's what God is calling you into. Not just do your duty. He's called you to love, to enjoy Jesus in your commitment to him. Becoming a Christian is bigger than simply making a decision. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Well, there is a decision involved, but it's bigger than that. What you love has to change. What you enjoy has to be altered. And it all depends on who your father is. You need God to pull you out of one family and put you into another if you're going to enjoy and treasure Jesus. Here's the third thing. What you are willing and able to understand shows who your spiritual father is. Let's look at verses 43 through 47. Well, we'll start with verse 43. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. So when he says you can't bear it, he means like emotionally you can't handle it. This is an incredible insight, not just into the human heart, but into the human mind. Jesus says, the reason you don't understand with your mind 
is because you can't bear it emotionally in your heart. The thing keeping them from understanding Jesus is that they don't want to. Have you ever been in an argument with someone and you think, okay, time out. I'm just going to clearly explain my position and once I clearly explain myself, this argument will be over. And so you take your step back, you start to explain yourself piece by piece, step by step, it makes a lot of sense, and the person's not listening to you. And you're going, hold on, just listen to what I'm saying and you'll be convinced. But you realize, no, they don't want to be convinced. I mean, this is why parenting teenagers is supposed to be so much fun. Parents think, now, by the way, if what you want shapes what you're willing to understand, I'm not making fun of you teenagers, because when you're a teenager, what you want, you feel extra. And parents think, okay, I'm going to explain very carefully how these clothes are not appropriate. I'll do it calmly and logically, like this. The clothes you want to wear they're not the right size, and you'll be cold. The logic is perfect. It was clearly communicated, but if your teenager wants to wear them, are they going to understand your clear point? No way. Now, teenagers, I, I know and believe better things for you. I do. In fact, look, Last week, maybe, I was talking to Caroline. I watched one of you listen and submit to your parents in a way that blew my mind. So, you're a sharp group. But what you want deep down, even if you can't express what it is that you want, what you want shapes what you understand. That's an important insight into the human mind. I've given this example before, but it happens regularly. I share the gospel. I try to be as clear as I can with what Jesus did. Jesus earns heaven for you. He does it. You can't do it. He's the only one who can pay for your sins. He's the only one who deserves eternal life. And trust him. He'll give it to you, what he earned, as a gift. And I always ask people, Afterwards, okay, you heard me. So, how do you get into heaven? And always someone will say, because I'm a good person. Because I do more good things than bad things. What's going on there? It could be a language problem. By the way, this is a parenthesis, but learning language is important. If you're going to share the gospel with people, you need to be able to communicate with them in a way that they can understand. Learning language matters. But most often, the people I'm talking to don't understand, not because of the language, but because it doesn't fit with their desires, with what they want in their soul. They don't want God to get all the credit. By the way, I'm not talking about monsters here. Murderers. I'm talking about normal people like you and me. 
don't want God to get the credit. We don't want to have to humble ourselves and rely on God's grace. We don't want to be needy and we don't want to confess that we actually are sinners and that we actually do deserve hell because we're wicked people. We don't want to do that. We don't want to leave our own selfish desires. That's the deepest reason people don't understand. It's not a brain problem. If you read Romans 1, Paul's clear. We suppress the truth because we don't want it. That's our slavery. And we talked about our slavery last week, our slavery to sin. We want what we want. It doesn't matter how clearly I explain that what you want, your sin is killing you. Or that what you don't want, Jesus will give you real life. It doesn't matter how clearly I explain that because you don't want it. You want what you want. That's our slavery. And Jesus continues in verse 44. You are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. So you want what he wants. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. So before becoming a Christian, all of us reject the truth. All of us. Me included. All of us. We don't want to be accountable to God. We don't want to live for his glory. We want to grow our own glory. And so we walk away just like the devil has. He hates the truth. He lies to us so that we would hate the truth. And we're content with his lies. Because we don't want the truth either. That's you and me without Jesus. Now in verse 46, Jesus says, which one of you convicts me of sin? What he's saying here is, listen, if I'm a sinner, if you can show that I'm a sinner, don't listen to me. Don't listen. But if you can't, you should listen to what I'm saying. If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Most people read this backwards. It's not saying you are not of God because you do not hear. It's saying you do not hear because you are not of God. Do you see that? Children of the devil, that's these Jews, it's you, it's me, have to be born again to hear and to love and to understand Jesus. That has to happen first. So let's summarize and let's apply this. We do what we do. We love what we love. We understand what we understand depending on who our spiritual father is. That's what Jesus is saying. We're either God's children or the devil's. What you do, I'm talking about you personally, not just these Jews who lived 2,000 years ago. What you do, what you love, what you are willing to understand all flows 
from who your spiritual father is. Becoming a Christian is a miracle. You need God to step in and change you at the very foundation of who you are. Not just your behavior, not just your thinking, at the very core, on the spiritual genetics level, you've got to be changed. I want you to notice something that Jesus keeps doing in this book. He keeps telling the people who are listening to him that their problem is bigger than they can fix. He does that with Nicodemus. You read, you, if you read carefully what goes on in the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, you go, wait, what did Jesus just do? He just told Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you can't see the kingdom of heaven unless first you've been born again. What good does that do? Or in John chapter 6, when Jesus says, listen, the reason that you're not listening to me is because no one can come to me unless the Father draws them. What's the point of that? What's the point of telling people that they've got a problem that they can't fix? Well, Jesus is not a fatalist. Which means if you listen to Jesus and you turn to him, you will be saved. But it's also because Jesus knows the truth. Unless God steps in and draws us out of the kingdom of darkness, out of Satan's family, into the kingdom of light, into his family, we can't be saved. That's just reality as Jesus sees it. God will be the one who gets credit for starting our salvation. From first to last, God will be the one who gets the credit for our salvation. If you love Jesus, and you understand the good news, and your life bears any good fruit, give God the credit. I want our worship to be the kind of worship in this church that gives back to God what he deserves. All of it. He changed us. If you love him, if you understand anything, he acted first. He did it. He gets the credit. It's his great love. It's his mercy. It's his grace for stepping in, pulling us out of Satan's family and bringing us into his. Our praise, the praise of these worship gatherings, your private praise when you're worshiping Jesus hinges on whether or not you are willing to give God all the credit for what you have. If we do, our worship will rise high and we will be happier for it. It's my plea to you. And if that's how you're saved, that's how other people will be too. So when we do evangelism, we share the gospel, we are not simply trying to make someone a Christian by changing their behavior. Please, this is so important. If you're not a Christian and I want you to become a Christian, I don't just take away your list of bad behaviors 
and give you another list of good behaviors to do and say, Chalas, you're a Christian now. You used to steal. You used to look at bad stuff on the computer. Now you don't steal. And you look at good things on your computer. You're a Christian. No. What has to happen is that deep down inside, your spiritual genetics have to be changed. And your behavior flows out of that. We don't, we don't make people Christians by giving them, simply by giving them more information. Right? You're not a Christian. I want you to be one. Here's our church's statement of faith. Memorize this and you'll be a Christian. Now, if God's gracious, he can use our statement of faith. He uses the truth to save people. But being able to spit out words that are true doesn't mean anything has happened deep down in your soul. Becoming a Christian is a miracle. A miracle of God has to happen. Really. So here's my plea. When you are sharing the gospel with someone, don't just try to change their behavior. And just don't think they need to regurgitate a bunch of facts. Share the truth with them and then pray. Pray for God to do the work. Depend on him in prayer because he has to do it first. And he will, and he'll get the glory. And by the way, if that's you, if you're listening right now, and you feel compelled at all, like, ah, I think I want this, come. You can only feel compelled to come if God is working in you, so come. He's calling you to himself. Now here's a final application. If what we desire determines what we are able to understand, then when you come to this Bible and you want to learn, or you come to a sermon and you want to learn, you want to grow, the most important thing for you is not a big brain. It's a surrendered heart. That's the most significant thing about whether you're going to get anything out of this book or anything out of a sermon. When you come to the Bible, are you surrendered to take whatever he tells you? Are you humble enough to say, there's so much I don't understand, but whatever's in here, I'm going to submit to it. Well, that matters so much more than having a high intelligence quotient. That'll change your life. If you're humble and desperate and surrendered when you come to this book or you come to a sermon, you'll understand this in a way that changes you forever and honors God. The position of your heart is as important, it's more important than your brain. Praise God that he steps in and gives new life. He does. If you're a Christian in here, it's because God stepped in. So let's praise him for it. Let's give him all the credit. As we worship as a church, let's enjoy God from first to last. You did it. And let's seek him in dependent prayer to do it more and more and more. In those who come here in this city, in this nation, and he will. Let's pray. Father, thank you, like Colossians says, 
that you transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Oh, I pray that you would give us as a church humble hearts as we come to the truth, that we would be surrendered and that we would be transformed. Oh, please, God, would you do that for us? Would you transform us through the truth? Father, we pray that as we sing, as we take the Lord's Supper, that you would help us to sincerely worship. That our worship would rise high. What do we have, the Apostle Paul says, that we have not received? Or as David says, from your own hand, we give back to you. You are the first mover. You're the giver of grace. For from you and through you and to you are all things. Therefore, to you be all the glory. Let our praise rise there. And would we enjoy you more. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.